Well, once again, good morning. Hello to everybody who is watching online. Glad that you guys are joining us. If you have your Bibles, please go ahead and grab them and turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 2, the book of Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll be there in just a moment. Um, I want to let you know that uh, the, really the first three, this is part four of Ephesians, and the first three parts have been just super encouraging. Uh, the Apostle Paul, he's just been writing about all the incredible uh, spiritual blessings that God uh, gives us when we begin a relationship with Jesus. And I don't want to say today's going to be discouraging, because it's not. I think it is going to be encouraging. But as we kind of, as this letter takes a turn, I think that we're going to go deep today, okay? And that's what I've observed over the first couple of services, is that as we've been going through this message, it's just been a little bit quiet. People have been thinking. People have been receiving. And so I just want to let you know we're going deep today. Is everybody okay with that? Okay, let's go. Um, just, just with me one time. Everybody say, I'm ready. Say, let's go deep. Okay, you asked for it, okay? It wasn't me. You were the ones who said that. Um, I was thinking about this moment, January of 2007, and historians, sociologists, they all agree that this moment is a moment that truly did change history and a moment that we will look back on as a pivotal turning point uh, in Western culture in January of 2007. Uh, founder and CEO of Apple, Steve Jobs, stood up in front of a crowd of 4,000 tech nerds, a raucous crowd, and he introduced to them, do you guys know, the iPhone. And this smartphone, the first of its kind, truly did revolutionize everything. And in fact, it's kind of crazy. 2007 was only 16 years ago. But to think about literally everything that has changed uh, since then. Before 2007, um, you were not able to watch YouTube videos during a sermon. You know, if the pastor got boring, you couldn't just tune in. But, but so much has changed, and there have been so many different ripple effects that have happened from that one event. Pretty much every single industry has been changed, whether it's travel, transportation, uh, dining, we went from big box stores to Amazon. There have been all these moments that have changed. And I say that to say it was a single moment, but it had a massive ripple effect. Now, you and I are here at this church because of one single moment. Not the iPhone, uh, but this moment that happened 2,000 years ago. And it's a moment that we call the gospel. The gospel is the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everybody here has been impacted by that moment, and many of us have had our lives changed by that moment. But I want you to realize that the gospel, it is one single moment, but it has many effects. There's many different facets to the gospel. And I'm going to just put up three of those, and I want us to be thinking about them as we start this message. On the screen, I have three things that happen through the gospel. First off, through the gospel, Jesus saves individuals. Now, oftentimes, when we think about the gospel, we think about this moment. We preach the gospel, and one individual person responds to it. Maybe you have shared the gospel with a coworker. Maybe you think about people here at this church, that the message is communicated and people are changed. Maybe you can even think about you know, a famous preacher like Billy Graham saying, if you were to die tonight, do you know where you would be going? So Jesus saves individuals. 
Another facet of the gospel that we see is that through the gospel, Jesus will resurrect and renew all of creation. And we learned about that a couple of weeks ago in our teaching on heaven, that Jesus broke the curse and that because of the gospel, now there will be a new heavens and a new earth. That happened because of the gospel. But there's a third facet of the gospel, and we're going to be talking about that throughout our time today. Through the gospel, Jesus unites individuals into a church. And so what I want us to understand is that each one of us, we must make a personal decision to have a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus saves individual people. And in fact, you and I, we are responsible for our personal walk with Christ. And God wants to have a beautiful and personal relationship with you as an individual. But we also must realize that it isn't just a bunch of solo individual relationships, but that when God saves us, he brings us into a family. That's what we're going to be talking about today in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Now, at the beginning of Ephesians 2, the first part, which Pastor Dave talked about last week, it really focused on our individual relationships with God, that God took us from being dead in sin, made us alive in Christ, and gave us an identity. But now we're going to look at the collective community together, and starting in verse 11, this is how it goes. Ephesians 2.11, everybody there? Okay, good. Ephesians 2.11, it says, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles, and that word you, it could read y'all, y'all who are Gentiles, by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done by human hands. Remember that at that time, y'all were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. So what the Apostle Paul starts off with is he starts off by saying, in the past, there were some barriers that people had to overcome to begin a relationship with Jesus. And he really describes two barriers. First off, he talks about that there is a barrier between people. He he said that before Jesus came, there were two separate groups of people, the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews were those who were on the inside. They were part of the covenant community, and the Gentiles were those who were on the outside. And so there was this natural barrier that was made. Now, by the way, if you're here and you don't know what a Gentile is, a Gentile is just biblical language for anybody that's not a Jew, anyone that wasn't a part of that original covenant people of God. But the Apostle Paul, he says, it's not just that there was a man-made barrier, but that there was also a divine barrier. That those who were Gentiles, they were blocked from a relationship with God. They didn't have hope. They didn't have a connection with God. They didn't have access to the promises of the people of God. Now, Paul is about to explain that all of that is going to change. But I do believe that there is a couple of different application points that you and I can take even from these first couple of verses. First off, I think there's an application point for Christians. Paul uses the word remember. Remember what God saved you from. And I think it's important for us as Christians to look back from time to time and remember all that God has done in our lives. You see, first off, we got to understand this, 
it can be dangerous to live in the past, okay? And you and I know that sometimes we can let our past failures define us, right? We can let our past successes define us. And in fact, in another section of scripture, Paul would say, forget what lies behind, look forward to what lies ahead. So so we don't want to live in the past and we don't want to let shame or guilt or condemnation define our relationship with Christ. But it is good from time to time to look back and to say, praise God, he saved me from what was in my past, amen? And so for me, I can truly say when I look back, that I was dead and God made me alive, that that I was blind and now I can see that I was addicted and God brought me to freedom. Like I can remember a time when I didn't have hope and then I became into a relationship with God and I found hope for the first time, amen? And so we gotta celebrate that. And, And I wonder if there are people even in this room that would say, I remember that moment Praise God, I'm not where I am because he saved me. Hallelujah. So we want to remember what God has saved us from. But I want to say this. There are those in here, there are those watching online that you are not followers of Jesus. And Paul is highlighting the current spiritual stance that you are at. You know, so often when, when people think about their relationship with Uh, God, or maybe when they think about different religions and different options that are out there, a lot of people think, you know, every option's as good as, as another. You know, whatever you believe is fine by you. But Paul is saying, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you are in a serious spiritual problem. And so I just want to highlight that for you and say, God is inviting you into a relationship with himself. He's given you Jesus, and he wants you to take a step towards him today. Okay, let's keep going. Look with me at verse 13. Remember, Paul said, this is where you were. Now he's going to talk about now. It says, but now in Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. So what we're seeing in this moment is we're seeing that because of the gospel, God transformed our relationship with him and he transformed our relationship with other people. You could say that the gospel has vertical blessings and the gospel has horizontal blessings. And Paul describes both in this passage. I want to look at three vertical blessings that Paul highlights in this text. They're on the screen. There's three vertical blessings of God that Paul points out. First off, he says that we are reconciled to God through our relationship with Jesus. That means we're brought near. If you think about the word reconciled, reconciled means that our relationship has been repaired. 
that, that there was a problem in our relationship with God and, and that God repaired that relationship because of Jesus Christ. It says that we are reconciled through the cross. We're not reconciled through our own performance. We're not disqualified from being reconciled because of our failures. Jesus, because of what he did, he reconciled us to Christ. The second vertical blessing is this, that we have peace with God. And Paul specifically highlights that Jesus preached peace to those who are near and to those who are far. Now, what does this mean? Well, at that time, those who were near were the Jewish people. Today, we might call those who are near those who grew up around church. And maybe there's some people in here, you were church kids. Maybe you've talked to someone who doesn't follow Jesus right now, but they went to a Catholic school or they grew up in Sunday school or they got drugged to church every single day. They were near. And they, they know all the right answers. They know uh, what books of the Bible they are. If you say, hey, turn to John chapter 3, they're like, I know where to turn. But, but what Paul says is even someone who grew up around the faith still needs to be reconciled to God. They still need peace with God, and that only comes through a relationship with Jesus. But he also said that God preached peace to those who are far who is someone who's far away? Someone who's far away, they've done a lot of things to purposefully run away from God. Maybe that's your story. Maybe your story is, Brian, listen, if I could do something to rebel against God, I did it. If you can tell me and describe a situation that's far from God, I've been farther than that. And what this verse says is, no matter what you've done, no matter what's in your past, Jesus comes to preach peace to you to offer you peace with God, reconciliation with God. Nobody's too far away from the grace of God. And we all need his peace, amen. The, the third thing that we see is that through a relationship with Jesus, we have access to God. That you and I, we can talk to God, we can communicate with God, we can hear from God because of the Holy Spirit. Now we also see that there's some horizontal blessings with God. And let's check those out. The first of the horizontal blessings with God is that we are one family instead of two different groups. When Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, he says, y'all used to be Jews and Gentiles, but now those labels aren't the most important anymore. The most important label is you're the family of God. God has brought you into one united family. We also see that because of that, the dividing wall is destroyed. The law, the ordinances, the commands, that's not what separates you anymore. And then the third thing is this, that because of that, there are no more hostility between people groups. And we're going to talk about that as we move forward. Let's keep going, though. We're going to read in verse 19, and it says this. It says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. And so Paul is saying God has created a new family, one family together. Verse 20, this family is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. So the foundation, the Old Testament writers, uh, the Jesus' apostles 
but the foundation or the cornerstone, the guiding force is Jesus Christ. And in verse 21, it says, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a heavenly temple, a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. So Paul introduces to us this new image, this new analogy or metaphor. He says that, yes, the church is a family, but he says the church is also a temple. Now, what's interesting is that before Jesus came, people did relate to God through the temple. They related to God through the tabernacle, which is a very beautiful, ornate, elaborate tent that the uh, Israelites used and worshiped at. And then eventually they uh, met with God through uh, the temple that was in Jerusalem. But now Paul says that there is, in fact, a new temple. And the new temple is not a building. It's not a structure made by human hands, but it is the people of God. And so here's what we got to understand. Paul says that each individual Christian, every Christian in here, if you're a follower of Jesus, Paul says, individually, you are a temple of God. That's a high identity, a beautiful calling that God has given us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says this, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. So Christian, your body is incredibly valuable. Because your body was actually redeemed and bought with a price, and God dwells with you. However, Paul also says, yes, each individual Christian is a temple of God, but he also says this. Throughout history, the past 2,000 years, every Christian that's ever lived, right now, all over the earth, on this Sunday when thousands and millions of Christians are meeting all over the world, All of them together are being built up into one collective holy temple together. And it's kind of a mind-blowing, incredible thing. So what we've done so far is we've read through the text that we're going to study today. And what I want to do for the next few moments is I just want to dive in and think about one concept that Paul talked about. And we're going to talk about it for the next few moments together. Really what Paul is describing here is that Jesus is building something that Jesus actually tore down something. Oftentimes when you start building, you have to tear something down first. So Jesus tore one thing down, and now he's building something brand new. Now I was thinking about the very building that many of us are sitting in right now. Maybe you're watching on a screen, and you can just imagine this auditorium and the beautiful building that we are in. Now you may or may not know this, but this building... Uh, did not always used to be here on Minton Road. And in fact, at one point, uh, about 25 to 30 years ago, uh, this area was a cow pasture. Amen. It literally was. There was literally cows here. If you drove by Minton Road, you could see them. And and so at some point, uh, the the, the leadership of the church and the different real estate people involved, uh, they, they made the decision, this is no longer going to be a cow pasture. We're going to send uh, the cows off to their new happy homes or to be hamburgers. I'm not sure really how the process happened. I haven't looked that detailed into it. And now this is going to be a church. 
Now, I work at this church, but imagine, if you will, that one day, in coming into work, now, usually I'm pretty casual at work. Uh, I wear, I mean, clearly, like, I'm, I'm casual now, so imagine when I'm not speaking. <laughs> Anyways, I'm usually pretty casual at work, but imagine instead of just coming in casually to work, imagine if I uh, came in and I had my work boots on, I had my straw hat on, I brought my pitchfork and my shovel, I rented a tractor, and I rolled the tractor into the sanctuary. And someone was like, like, yeehaw, you know, like, what, someone was like, why are you doing this, Brian? And I was like, well, this used to be a cow pasture. So I thought we could just go back and kind of work the farm a little bit here. Well, obviously, everyone would think, yeah, that's crazy. But, but what I've noticed is that so often in my own heart and also in the hearts and lives of other Christians, we can kind of go back and try to rebuild something that Jesus already got rid of. And we can neglect building the thing that Jesus is actively working on building. And, and so the big idea that I want us to think about here, and we're going to th- camp out on this for a little bit, is this. That I don't want to tear down what Jesus is building. And I don't want to build what Jesus already tore down. I don't want to be found doing that when Jesus examines my life. I want him to be able to say of me, he's building the same thing that I'm building. And so we're going to think about this, and I want to think about two different things that Jesus tore down and one thing that Jesus is building. So let's talk quickly about two things that Jesus tore down. The first thing that we see from our text that Jesus tore down is that Jesus tore down divisions between his people. When Paul was writing, the primary division was Jew and Gentile. And he said, those aren't the labels anymore. That's not the dividing line anymore. The question is not when you walk into church, hey, Jews on this side, Gentiles on this side. He said, no, 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 no. Everybody is one people group because that is what happened and that is what Jesus did. In fact, when you think about this, uh, Jesus, when he was on this earth, the night before he went to the cross, he prayed an incredibly famous, incredibly beautiful prayer, and it's called the high priestly prayer. And during this prayer, he prayed for every single Christian in history. He prayed for you, he prayed for me. And this is a little bit of that prayer in John 17. He said this, I pray that they will all be one just as God, you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. So this verse says he's praying that there would be such unity between Christians, between churches, between every single follower of Jesus, and that that unity would actually be the thing that communicates to the world God is real and that he loves this place. So there is a blessing that comes when Christians are unified together. And I think it's so important for us because one of the things that we talk about a lot and even one of the things that we see a lot is that Christians can be very divided. Churches can be very divided. Groups of Christians can be very divided. And it ought not be so. 
Because there are divisions that we can create with ourselves, but what we see is what is Jesus building? Jesus is building a unified church together. So so Jesus tore down divisions between his people, but I think that we can see in our text another thing that Jesus tore down. And another thing that Jesus tore down is this arrogance that his people have towards those who don't know him yet. You see, what we see in the text is that the Jewish people, the in crowd, their viewpoint was, hey, you know, we're kind of the kings, you guys are kind of the sorry people, and you guys are the ones who are on the outside, and we're kind of the ones who are on the inside, we have it all together. But what the gospel says is, not, yeah, we're awesome, and God made us kind of slightly more awesome when we got to know him. It's not like we figured it out and all y'all are lost. No, no, the gospel says the only reason that I'm a Christian, because I was dead in my sins and I was blind, but Jesus saved me. And I am only a follower of Jesus because of his grace and his mercy and his kindness in my life. And so when I have that attitude, I don't look at other people who don't yet know Jesus, oh yeah, like they got to figure it out. I look at them with compassion. And I look at them with love, and I look at my relationship with God, not with pride, but with gratitude. And when we have that perspective, that's when we can join on the mission of Jesus. Jesus said his mission in Luke chapter 19. He said that I came to seek and to save the lost. And that is Jesus' heart. And that is what he is inviting us to do and what he's inviting us to be a part of. And so Jesus came to tear these things down. Now, here's the question. For you and for me, there are things that are divisions in the church. There are things that divide us. And so the question is, what are some of the things that cause divisions in the church? What causes disunity? What causes harm? And I wrote down three things. The first thing that we see that causes divisions in the church today is prejudice, Now, oftentimes when we see that word prejudice, the first thing we think about is racial prejudice or racial divisions. And that is one of the things that does exist, barriers between people of different ethnicities. But there are other types of prejudice as well. Prejudice is simply prejudging, deciding how you feel about a people or a different group of people, but before getting to know them. And so there are many different types of prejudice within the church. But it causes division and it causes harm. It causes harm in the body and it causes harm out in the community as well. I have kind of a sad story to share with you. It truly is a story that grieves my heart, but I think it's an important illustration for us to see. A few weeks ago, we had someone call the church office and they said, hey, we just thought this happened to us and we just thought you should know. They were standing in their yard and they were talking and someone drove by them rolled down their window, and yelled something unkind. I believe that it was racially related. The car kept driving, and on the back was a Calvary Chapel sticker. And, and that grieves my heart. And, and listen, when, when I look at our church, when I see the, the love that we have for each other, what I see is a church that, for the most part, does love each other. And like we, you know, we don't have an application process for the stickers, you know. But, but, but what I see is that what we have to remember as a church is that we are called 
to be unified together. We are called to love each other, but we're also called to love the world. And we are a city on a hill. We are called to be salt and light. We're called to be different, not in a negative way, but in a way that shines the light of Christ. Now, thankfully, this couple that called, um, they talked to the best possible person they could have. Um, Mary, who's one of our amazing receptionists, could, could, like, couldn't be a better person to talk to. Yeah, shout out to her. Um, and of course, she, she talked to them. She apologized. I'm told that they were laughing by the end of the conversation, and so we praise God for that. But it's a division, and it hurts the reputation of the church. It hurts uh, the reputation of Christ. The second thing that causes divisions among us is pride. And really, pride just simply says this. My perspective is better than yours. I don't really want to listen to you. I don't really want to apologize to you. I don't really want to ask for forgiveness for you because I just feel like I know better. Man, we see pride in life, but we also see a lot of pride in the comment section. If you want to know what pride looks like, just open any comment section on the internet and you'll just see it right there. Uh, The second thing is, or the third thing is this, minor theological differences and even worship style. There are different churches that do things differently than us. And it's okay that they do things differently. We love how we do it at Calvary Chapel. We do it for an intentional reason and an intentional purpose. But, but we don't think we hold like the only way to do church. And, and God actually uses different kinds of churches to reach different kinds of people. And so what we want to do as Calvary Chapel is we want to say, I'm proud of my church. I love my church. I'm excited for what God's doing here. And I'm also excited that God is moving all throughout the state, all throughout the community, all throughout the world. We're not going to reach everybody, but through all of the churches unified together, we're going to reach more people. Amen? Amen. And so we want to have that heart. So we talked about kind of what Jesus tore down. Now for a few moments, I want to look and ask, what is Jesus building? What is Jesus building? And what we see here is that Jesus is building a holy temple where God dwells. Maybe as I was speaking over the last few moments, and I imagine there's some people, and probably you who are, uh, have a heart for theology, have a heart for biblical truth, which if you have that, I love that. I have a heart for theology. I have a heart for biblical truth. And, and maybe as you were thinking that, you were getting a little worried because you were starting to think, oh man, like, Brian, I'm all for unity, but does this mean that we're just going to kind of forget about truth? We're just going to kind of compromise on the things that the church stands for just for the sake of letting anyone in. And what we see is that that's actually not true because it says that Jesus is building a temple. Now elsewhere, I'm going to put up another verse from 2 Corinthians. And Paul elaborates on this concept that Jesus is building a temple. And it says this in 2 Corinthians 6. He says, what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. Now, sadly, in the name of of love, there are many people and even churches who have laid down truth and laid down the foundational components of faith that Christians have believed for thousands of years in the name of acceptance. And what we need to realize is that 
we're not building the temple that we want to build. We don't just get to do whatever we want to do. Jesus is building a temple. He's building it the way that he wants to build it, and we are a part of it. And so I do want to take just a moment, and I want to talk about just a few of the essentials of our faith. I don't think that this is going to be an exhaustive list. I'm not going to take a long time with this. But there are some things that are just foundational to what the the Christian church has believed for thousands of years. And we're not going to compromise on those things. I wrote down just a few of the essentials of our faith. And like I said, we're going to move quickly. The first is the truths of Genesis 1 through 3. And by the way, you narrow the path quite a bit just right here. The Trinity, that it's one God and three persons, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mankind is made in the image of God, that from womb to tomb, every person is valuable. God created male and female, and he assigns that to each person. Marriage, that it is defined by Scripture that all human beings are fallen due to sin, and we need a Savior. Another essential of the faith is that Jesus is fully God and fully man, that he was God and that he actually became a human being to save us. An essential is that salvation is by grace alone through faith in Christ alone. I'll talk about three more quickly. The mission of the church. That we as a church, we actually have an assignment from Jesus. We're not doing our own thing. We're doing what he's called us to do. And the assignment is that we save the lost, make disciples, and we love the world. We also see that the uh, An essential is the infallibility and the authority of Scripture, that Scripture is perfect and that we don't make our own rules, but that we are under the authority that God has given us in his word. And then the last thing is this, that Christ will return to judge the world and to establish his kingdom, the reality of heaven and the reality of hell. Now, like I said, I don't think that's like a complete theological statement of faith from us. But especially as you look out at a lot of the things that are happening in our world today, uh, these are some of the truths that are being attacked. And by the way, if, if you, we went through that list too quickly, um, it's on the website, it's on our app if you want to examine it a little bit more. We just need to understand this. Christians, we don't build our own thing. We're building what Jesus has been building. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about there's two great temptations that you and I face living in our world today in 2023. Two great temptations. And using this analogy of a temple, I was thinking there's a temptation for a temple without walls and a temptation for a temple without doors. Now, what does it mean to have a temple without walls? A temple without walls means there's no boundaries. There's no restriction. There's no uh, restraint. And really, the, the walls are God's word. The walls are the blueprint that Jesus has already established through his word. That's right, the narrow path. And we want to be a temple with walls. But we also, we don't want to be a temple with no doors. What is the door? Well, the door means, man, we want to be open to the community. We want to be open to welcoming people in. We don't want to just close off and say, okay, if you're out there, you're lost, good luck. I was thinking about this, a temple with no doors It's harmful to those who are inside, and it's unhelpful to those who are outside. And we want to have a big old door. Amen? We want to see people who are lost and who need Jesus and need a relationship with God to welcome into the family. 
but we're not going to do it by compromising the truths of Scripture and how God has assigned for us to do it. Now, as I said at the beginning, we've gone deep today. Thanks for rolling with us. And I really want to give us two practical applications to take away. Because I think um, we, we've, we've done some theology, we've thought a lot. I want to give us two takeaways that we can apply to our lives this week. And the first one is on the screen. It's uh, starting with a, you can go back to that, starting with Galatians chapter 6. I apologize. It says in Galatians 6, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. So, so what Paul is saying here is he's saying, based on all the truth of Scripture, based on the gospel, based on what God is doing in our community, our response as simple as we can make it, is to love everyone. But we especially love those who are a part of the church. Jesus is building the church, and we love that. Now, that doesn't mean that we show favoritism. But listen, in my family, I am specifically called to love my wife. I'm specifically called to love my boys. That doesn't mean I don't love y'all, but I have a specific calling to love them. And in the same way, Christians, we love everybody, but we are specifically called to love those who are in the church. And what's amazing is God's love, it doesn't subtract, it actually multiplies. So as I love the church, as I love those who are part of this community, what I actually see is that multiplies and I have more love to show, love the world around me. And so here's my prayer. As you're processing all of the things that we talked about, as you're letting it settle deep in your heart, my prayer is this, that this week that you would pray and ask God, give me a practical way that I can love my church family. Give me a practical way I can love the lost people, the people that don't yet know Jesus in my community. The last application point is this, and we'll close. Jesus never called a solo disciple. We are called to God, but we are also called into a church. He never called a solo disciple. Did you know that the first time Jesus called disciples, he called two of them? There's actually never been one disciple. And so often, what you hear people think or even articulate is, you know, I'm good. It's just me and God. I don't really know if I need anybody else. I do believe that you can be a Christian and just not have any other Christian friends, but I don't believe you can be a healthy Christian. We need each other. And, and whenever we do announcements up here, whenever we give opportunities to get connected, we're not just doing it because we're kind of bored and feel like we should put some stuff on the calendar. We're doing it because we want to create opportunity for us to get connected. But the challenge is for all of us if you're new, if you feel like you're here and you're not connected, the challenge is take a step to get connected. If you are part of our church community, if you're part of our family, if you have a wonderful community, it's our challenge and our call to welcome those who are new. Not just to say, hey, good luck, but to say, hey, you're welcome in. We invite you in. We want to be a welcoming community because Jesus is building something and we want to be building the same thing that he is building. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you for all that you are doing. 
in this place. And we thank you that right now, as we have read your word, God, your Holy Spirit is moving and it's touching so many different people's hearts and so many different people, so many different ways. And God, just for a few moments, I just want to just create just a, a quiet moment for us. And I just want to ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. Maybe there are some in here that are convicted that they don't have a heart of unity, that they've allowed pride, prejudice, favoritism to get in the way. And so God, if that's, that's people in this room and maybe, maybe it's many people in this room, I just pray that we would just take a moment and just confess that to you. You already know it, but may we agree with you and may we allow your Holy Spirit to do a deep work in our hearts today. I love that, God, you are always working on us. You work on the obvious sins, but you also work on the ones that we can hold deep into our hearts that take deep root. God, I also pray, maybe there's some people in here that want to get connected to the family of God, but there's a fear, there's past hurts, whatever it is. God, I pray that because of what you're doing through this message, that you would just start to do a new thing. God, I pray that people would be connected to each other, that new friendships, new community would form so that we can move deeper into our relationships with you. As we take a quiet moment over the next few, few moments right here, God, I just invite your Holy Spirit to move and work. God, I pray for a special outpouring of your spirit upon our church. And I pray that we would be a unified church and, and that we would fight for that unity. I pray that we would just experience your love in a special way and that as we experience the love you have for us, that we would turn around and show it to others. God, we love you and we thank you. You're moving in this place. Amen. Hey, I want to invite you to stand to your feet. As we close, we're going to sing one more time. And we have talked about how great Jesus is. We've talked about all the work that he has done. So I just want to ask you, if you feel comfortable, let's lift up our hands to heaven. Let's sing to Jesus. Let's worship him. And let's bring glory to his name. He's building something. He's building our church. Let's praise him. Let's praise our Lord.
Amen. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone, in whom the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. As we close, a couple of things. We're going to have a prayer team down front. And every week, we have opportunities for people to pray. Every week, people are uh, just coming to receive prayer, and prayer is a powerful thing. And so if you need prayer for any reason, I want to invite you to come down front. I also just want to encourage you, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with God, Jesus loves you. He died for you. And so we want to just... Um, create an opportunity for you to come down. And so at the end of the service, please come down. I'd love to meet you. I also want to let you know that out in the uh, commons, um, there is a, a center ring. Um, it's called New to Calvary. And uh, if you're new, we'd love for you to go out there and meet some people. Don't forget all the ladies. Um, you can go out there and talk to the uh, women's connection team as well. And the last thing is all across the back, we got offering boxes and, uh, Thank you so much for giving to the work of the Lord. We've got two minutes left. Lead us through the chorus one more time. We need, we need to sing. We're not, we're not quite done. So let's sing one more time. Let's sing together. I'm chosen. love you. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.